All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. What's up, Canucks fans from beautiful Vancouver? It's a nice day today. I haven't actually looked outside enough. I got my blinds down, but the view that we have in the backdrop here, absolutely gorgeous. Welcome to the Canucks Conversation, presented 
by the great folks from Zephyr Epic. Be sure to use our promo code hockey season, all one word hockey season. It's one word wags uh, hockey season. You can get $5 off your order free shipping Canada wide on all orders over $50. You heard me mention his name already. Daniel Wagner, pass it to Bullis. Vancouver is awesome. All that fun stuff. He's joining me here, filling in co-hosting wags. We normally start this show with a 30 seconds of dog update from quads as he's got his <laughs> new puppy and, uh, and he likes to talk about his puppy off the top of the show, but we are not doing that today. No 30 seconds of dog. Cause that's my least favorite segment on this whole damn show. Uh, but wags, I'm excited to get you in here, man. How you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get you on. It's uh it's always good to get a different opinion and like, you know, we haven't even had you on as a guest, I guess, on this show yet. It's been a major grievance of mm-hmm, mine. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I'm going to come in here in person and handle my business. It's like, how dare you not have me on the show? <laughs> I understand. I, understand. <laughs> I, I did want to mention, and I showed you a little bit off the top. You have a lot of power here. Oh, you yes. have the board actually in front of you because quads used to sit here. And I'll let you do it once, just off the top. Give me an arty party. People love the arty party in the chat. Oh, yeah. There it is. A lot of power there, Wags. Got a lot of power there. Rock with the arty party. I love it. Um, Excited to get you on here, Wags. I do want to start off the top. We talk about it all the time. You got stories galore up in the press box about the things you're learning from this book you're writing. Quickly, let's touch on it before we get going. Because I, I know that I think we've talked about... This before maybe it was a Sportsnet show back in the day. Did did you know you're making the book back then? Uh, no, I wouldn't okay, have known so back then. So I am writing a book, which is very exciting. Uh, it's very nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time I'm I'm writing a full book all on my own. I've contributed to a couple things in the past, but I'm writing a book on the Canucks history at the NHL draft. It's called On the Clock. Uh, there's a whole series of these on-the-clock books, uh, so I'm, I've been tasked with writing about the Canucks' storied history at the NHL draft. It's It's been so fun to hear the stories that you have. It feels <laughs> like you have one every single game uh, that you've learned in this. Like It's such a cool story, and I, I think Canucks fans are going to appreciate it, because I think they're, they're doing this around the league. Quite a few different teams are getting this option to write this thing, but Vancouver, the fan base, I feel like, is going to be electric for hearing about draft stories and hearing the history of them in the NHL draft. It's such a bizarre history, like right from before they drafted and they spun a wheel to, to lose <laughs> out on a Hall of Famer, like with their very first spin of the wheel. Like, it's just such a weird history. The Canucks have had some just awful luck at the draft, but they've also mm. had some bizarrely good luck at the draft as well. Okay. Um, I, I think drafting a lot of it comes down to luck. There's a lot of hard work with scouting and, and and getting out there to see as many games as possible and finding these kind of diamonds in the rough, but a lot of it is luck. <laughs> like, Alex Edler is a great example of that. He's a guy who the Canucks found, drafted him in the third round. They had seen him play once, and it was uh, it was just a fluke that they even got a chance to see him because a Red Wings scout made one phone call, and because of that one phone call, the Canucks got a chance to draft Alex Edler. And so there's there's a whole story behind that, but it, it's really fascinating, all these different stories that I'm discovering as I as I delve into the history of the Canucks. With the Edler one, did you hear about the game? Did he have like nine goals and like 12 <laughs> assists, or like what, what happened there? 
Well, no. You can save it for the book if you want. Uh, well, I, okay. So, well, it's Thomas Gradeen. Thomas Gradeen is a bit of a legend in Vancouver, not just as a player, but mm-hmm. as a scout. He was one of the guys who really pushed hard for the Sedines, for example. And so he was their European scout, and he got wind of Alex Edler playing in this third division league in Sweden, and he got a chance to go see one game. And based on that one game, he said, we have to draft him. Yeah. And that's just, you know, there's a lot of hard work because he he went on that train ride, <laughs> that, you know, four and a half, five hour <laughs> train ride into the middle of nowhere in, in northern Sweden. And he did the work. And there's also a lot of luck that he even got a chance to hear about Edler. And, and so there's a lot of a lot of really interesting stories in the book about all of that, the luck, the bad luck, the the players that didn't make it, that should have made it, the players that had no business making it, that still made it. Like, it, it's a really interesting history. Right now, I'm looking a lot at uh, Sean Antosky um, and Alex Stoyanov. Those were picks that the Canucks made in the first round in, in back-to-back years in 1990 and 1991, looking for the next Bob Probert and instead getting guys that could barely play on the fourth line. Yeah, and yeah. so... There's so many different aspects into what goes into every single draft pick, and it's really fun. It's been really fun researching that, talking to different people, interviewing various scouts from uh, Canucks past, and it's really going to be a good book, I hope. <laughs> I hope a lot of people want to read it and will will buy it because, you know, I like to get paid. That's... <laughs> You're, you're preaching honest. to the choir. Well, <laughs> you know what? Speaking of getting paid, you're the one sitting in quads of spot right now. He's the one getting paid big time. Uh, the book. Obviously, it's a huge task to take this on. Are you finding it more fun than you thought or harder than you thought? Which one are you leaning more towards, fun or hard? Uh, I'm leaning more towards fun, to yeah. be honest. Like, it's, it's really... It's really a lot of fun looking at the history of of what the Canucks did, why they did it. Um, it's been fun to have a distraction from the current Canucks season, let's be honest. Bingo. <laughs> uh, it's been fun to kind of go like, okay, let's just kind of leave what's happening right now alone and look at something that is completely disconnected from it. Go back to the 70s and look at who they picked in at different rounds. Go back to the 80s and and just kind of explore that look at how the 82 and 94 and 2011 teams were built whether it was through the draft or through other means like looking at all of these different eras of Canucks hockey and just kind of leave aside the current Canucks and have fun with uh the history of it and I love researching yes it's a I love it I I do know that about you that's for (laughs) sure um we'll dive into the Canucks a little bit here because we do have some I would say pretty decent news from today at practice. We did see Phil Peronic back on the ice, uh, and then Rick Tockett later on giving us uh, an update, I guess, in the media availability, telling us day-to-day, which is a little bit of a surprise for me up to this point because, listen, we, we saw some photos of uh, of him out at Scotia Bar and getting some work in, but to see him on the ice, we were told that he was supposed to be in a non-contact jersey today. He was in the black jersey. looked like he was skating with everyone. Still non-contact. Uh, we did get a chance to talk to him after – uh, the morning skate here a little bit. And I mean, it was, it was nice to, to go face to face and meet someone at that point. Um, but we do have a lot to kind of, I think, look forward to with Hronik on the ice, at least for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm curious, do you think that there's enough to look forward to this season or is this all just about next year? Because I'm, I'm wondering when this guy's really going to get into a game here. Well, I think he'll get into a game 
probably sooner than we think. Like, mm. he, he looked comfortable out there. Uh, when we saw him in the locker room, he still had the shoulder taped up. So there's still some question marks of, of how ready he really is. Uh, he was skating on a pairing with Kyle Burroughs in practice, and they're both righties. And so Hronik was skating on the left. I talked to Burroughs about that, and he basically said, like, both of them are comfortable playing on either side. So he hmm. asked Hronik about it, and Hronik was like, you know what? I don't want to take one-timers today. <laughs> <laughs> so he played on the left side, and Burroughs was tasked with taking the one-timers during any drills in practice. So that tells you something. That tells you that Hronik is still taking it easy, going slow into practice. He's not trying to do too much, which is good. That's a positive. We don't want to rush anyone back at this point in a this, uh, kind of a meaningless section of the season. Yeah. As much as the Canucks will say, like, these are important games. These are important games. Well, no, they're not. They're important to a certain extent for finding out what different players can do, seeing if there's some different pairings that work. But they're going to go into the offseason and make huge changes most likely anyways, and you're going to end up with a completely different team coming in next off, next season into training camp. And so there's a limit to how much these games actually affect anything. And so, so Hronik coming back, that's that's a positive. You want to see what he can do. You want to see if he can carry a pairing on his own. Yeah. Because a lot of people, when he, when they saw the trade, they're like, oh, great. They got a partner for Quinn Hughes. I remember thinking the same thing myself. First like, thought that crossed my mind for sure, yeah. You're thinking like, okay, they got the right right side defenseman that can play with Hughes. I think it's far more likely that he plays on the second pairing and carries that pairing while Hughes carries the first pairing. And that way you get like a, a good one-two punch in the top four for the Canucks. Um, so you have to see if, if Ronick can actually do that with the left side defenseman that they have available right now. Is he going to play with Christian Wolanin? Is he going to play with Guillaume Brisebois? Like, you know, he's not going to have a great selection of partners right now. But if he can carry a pairing with those guys on his left side, that tells you something. That tells you that next season, if you can get him a better partner on the left side, or if OEL returns and they ask less of OEL Mm -hmm. on a second pairing where Hronik is doing more of the heavy lifting, maybe that's a pairing that can work if they ask OEL to do a little bit less. Do you see it just being Ethan Bear next year then with Quinn Hughes? Because I I think every I feel like uh, it's funny. I'm like, hey, let's get someone else in here to co-host, get a different opinion. I feel like we all have the same opinion. It's not <laughs> Hughes and, and Hronik aren't going to play together. It's maybe something we'll see when they're trailing. We we saw it at times in the past, even with uh with a Quinn Hughes playing with Tyler Myers late yeah. in games in the past couple of years, things like that. Like I think we'll see that for sure. We will see Hughes and Hronik skate on a pairing together at some point next season. But, like, is there any thought in your mind? And we mentioned it was kind of the first thought that hit our minds when we saw the trade. I wonder what happens if they if they just play so well together that you want to make this an elite pairing in the NHL. Because they have the potential for that. Mm-hmm. Like, they do. I mean, Hironic, I really think, had some tough times, like, in early parts of his career with the Detroit Red Wings. That was a really bad team for quite a while there. I'm curious to see, like, Quinn Hughes has not had a partner of this caliber of puck mover in his career, and, I, and I'm going to guess that Hironic hasn't either throughout his whole life. So the potential there to watch them play together, yes, it hurts the top four, but, man, you have some real potential there to see a pairing that can just move the puck well. Hironic's got the shot. Hughes is the passer. Like, there's, there's some real potential to have a very good pairing there if you want to go that direction. I think, I think you like you said, you will see that in, late in games if they need a goal. In, in certain situations, you will see that. 
I, I don't know how well they'll mesh together because Hronik mm. is a guy who likes to carry the puck as well. Yeah. And so if you have two guys who are trying to carry the puck as often as possible, that can often clash. You're taking something away from Hughes if you're removing some of his breakout game yeah. to to give some of it to Hronik. I think the bigger issue is what would the second pairing look like? Are you going to have OEL and Ethan Bear on a pairing? Or will it be OEL and Myers again? I don't think that's tenable. I don't mm. think you can come back with that as your second pairing. And so it might depend on what they do with OEL yeah. in the offseason. Oh, big time, and, I think it and does. And I just, uh, I just wrote about this yesterday. Uh, what are their options with OEL? Um, what can they do? And and if they decide that the, the best thing for them to do is to buy him out and replace him, it really depends on who they get for that uh, second pairing left side defenseman. How much they're willing to spend, how much they are able to spend, and if they can get a left side defenseman where you don't have to have Hronik carrying that second pair. And that that's what's difficult for me because I really think finding the right side guy that's going to make Quinn Hughes better is very difficult to do. Like, I think you can find a right side guy who can play with Quinn Hughes. Listen, they found that with Luke Shen. They're finding that with Noah Juleson right now. You can find a guy who can play with Quinn Hughes. But when I look at Philip Hronik, I look at a guy who, if things work out, he can make Quinn Hughes better. And I don't think yeah. we've seen that since Chris Tanev was here. A guy who really understood what Quinn Hughes was going to do on the ice and was able to make him better. I don't think he's had a defense partner. Listen, Luke Shen was there for a long time, and he did a fine job. I don't know if he made Quinn Hughes better. I think Ronick really has the potential to do that. And I do want to get to a couple comments. People are cheering you on here in the <laughs> in the chat as well. I see a couple of Corey's getting excited about you. But Canucks Need Right D says, do not put Hronik with OEL. He doesn't deserve that stress. <laughs> Hell no. Uh, so that that That's the thing for me is, like like I said, it's, it's very hard to get that right shot defenseman who's going to play with Quinn Hughes, make him better. But I think it's an easier find to get a left shot guy who's more stay at home that you can play with Ronick. Like that's a lot easier to find than a right shot guy who even might stay at home and play with Hughes. We just know left side, right side. There's so much more value on the right side. There's going to be more guys on the market that are left-handed guys who could play with Ronick. To me though, again, we just saw the Canucks had to give up for Ronick. Like, do they have to give up a similar type of thing to get another partner who does make Quinn Hughes better? Like that's, that's another big ask. Uh, if you're the Vancouver Canucks fans watching this team and hoping for a better partner with Quinn Hughes. Well, you kind of have to hope that Ethan Bear can take another step in his game. Can yeah. Find another level. Um, I haven't minded them together. I, I think Bear yeah. is very good on puck retrievals. He's less good on the breakout, but if he can give the puck to Hughes for the breakout, you know, you're you're doing okay. He's not the best defensively. But, like, you're not going to find another Chris Tanev. Chris no. Tanev is a unicorn. Yeah. You're talking about one of the greatest defensive defensemen in the NHL who also can move the puck really well. He can pass the puck. He's got a great first pass from the defensive zone. And he's a great skater. And it's, like, it's hard to find guys like Chris Tanev. That's why, like, Chris Tanev was such a ridiculous find out of college free agency. Yeah. And so that's potentially an option as well. Yeah. If you're hoping to find someone to play with Hughes. Maybe you're looking to free agency, maybe not college free agency this year, though there's a couple decent right side guys coming out of college, but maybe in the next couple years, you're really scouting college free agents hard. You're scouting European free agents hard. You're trying to find that guy who got missed in the draft, who has the potential to be a top pairing defenseman. Those are impossible to find, but they found one in Chris Tanev over a decade ago. 
maybe they can do it again. Yeah. Brian Troy has a great comment here on YouTube. It's critical for the Canucks to be able to identify a D-man on the cusp of breaking out this summer. That is yes. something that will be an interesting way if they want to take somewhat of a risk and reward type of player, right? Like there are going to be some options, specifically like RFAs, right? Like yeah, that's the thing that I'd be keying in on this year is like looking at those guys in the 23 to 26 year range, still RFAs, maybe aren't playing in a top four role where they're at and a team thinks they can get some value. Then like maybe there is a Niels Huglander going the other way. Maybe there is a player that you have to kind of give up to get that defenseman. We know how many wingers this team has. I, somebody listed them all off going into <laughs> next season about options for the Canucks. And I literally thought they were listing off like an 18 player starters. Like there's that many wingers going into next season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I do want to get to Quinn Hughes a little bit because I loved his comment today. Uh, and I believe we got Alex back here now. Um, Alex is one of these East Coast guys. He doesn't watch Quinn Hughes. He doesn't know what he's all about. And this is what I think Hughes' comments was kind of about, was talking you know, about being a defensive liability. Let's just hear from him because he was asked about not being in the conversation for the Norris or you know one of the best defensemen or the all-star team, the first team. And we, we see him on a nightly basis. We know what Quinn Hughes does to a game. We know what the Canucks look like without Quinn Hughes as well. Um, so let's hear the comments real quick. This is Quinn Hughes addressing us in the media about uh, kind of why he's not in the conversation for the awards. I feel like my game's really good right now. Uh, I mean, um, I'm proud that I'm plus and I'm playing a lot of minutes and defensively I've been trusted against the top lines and you know, anyone that says I'm a defensive liability, frankly, doesn't watch me play at this point. So, um, I don't know, I'm just more proud about that. I think as far as the numbers, like, I still haven't scored a lot, like, um, missed a lot of my chances, and I think that there's still lots of room to grow, to be honest with you. And um, so, yeah, I'm happy with my game. And, of course, with those uh, awards, like, you have to be on a team maybe that wins. But um, I just feel like I'm right there with a lot of the guys for sure. Love it when uh... – I think a lot of me, everybody, every media member there, like locked eyes with someone. It was like hell yeah when he said that about like if, if you think I'm a defensive liability, you aren't watching. Yeah, it's I love a it. little spicy. You know? I love <laughs> it. You know, I, I've had this, I've had this thought for a while, and I think I'm I'm definitely in the large minority here, or a small minority, I guess, because I don't think a lot of people are rocking with me on this. I think Hughes is the captain of this team moving forward. I, I really do. I. There's a lot of little things that I've seen him do over the past couple of years that I think are major indications of having a high leadership ability. And I, I, I still, I go back, I bring this up on the show all the time, so I apologize to listeners. <laughs> but like the the really tough um, end of the year availability with Brock Besser, like Quinn Hughes was the one stepping up uh, and covering, talking, doing things, whatever it was to kind of help Brock get through that tough moment. Things like that, we've heard him. I think kind of present himself in that leadership role in the way he's talked about me, especially after Bo Horvat's left, like the way that we've had conversations with him. I don't want to say like, it feels so different. He's the captain now. Like we're not at that point, but I do believe that like, there's a leader there. Absolutely. And we've heard Rick talk it, talk about it a lot lately. Um, I'm not going to try and bring you over to my team. Cause I feel like, uh, I feel like everybody's on team Patterson. And I, I get that too. Right. Like I think he does so much on the ice that makes him a leader. I, I just wonder, like I, I think Quinn Hughes is, very understanding of what a captain does for a hockey team, just from being around, you know, NHL teams at such a young age and seeing all that and developing and being a leader on all the teams he played on. He's getting to that point now. I'm in the camp of Quinn Hughes. I think is is the should be the captain of this team moving forward. Well, Talkett has made a point of saying that that Quinn Hughes has been yeah very vocal 
that he's uh, one of the most talkative players since he's come in. And I think that that's kind of missed by fans and the media because they mm. kind of see Hughes as being a quieter guy. Yeah. You know, when you talk to him in a, in a scrum or in an interview, yeah, he's a little bit quieter, but he's willing to s- speak his mind. That's been very clear. If he doesn't like a question, he'll give you a one-word answer, and he'll yep. be like, okay, let's move on. Yeah. Like <laughs> he's, he's willing to just kind of... Uh, He's willing to take that on, and and he's a little more comfortable talking with the media than Pedersen is. Obviously, Pedersen is speaking in a second language for for him, and and he's very comfortable in English now. But you can yeah. you can tell when he's looking for the right word. And Pedersen's a very thoughtful guy who wants to always be using the right words, <laughs> and he'll stop himself if he's going. Wait, that's not what I want to say. He'll stop <laughs> himself and backtrack and go. Let's try this again. But but I think with Pedersen is because he's such a thoughtful player, I think people kind of look at that as reluctance. And I don't I don't see it as reluctance for, for being the captain. I see it as him really wanting to weigh the pros and cons and, and really think about it. He doesn't want to take that the captaincy just because people think he should be the captain. He wants to take it if he can actually do something worthwhile with it. And so maybe, maybe he decides this offseason that he's like, you know what, this isn't for me. Mm. I, I don't want to have that on my plate. I'll be an alternate captain. I'll, I'll wear an A. I'll be a leader. I'll set an example in the room. I'll set an example with my fitness, whatever else you want to say. But he doesn't want to be the guy. And maybe that does become Quinn Hughes. But yeah, I still think that it's Pedersen's job if he wants it. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. And it's true, like, you know, there's going to be leaders in every single room. I think the big difference, at least from my point of view, and this is as a media member, is the captain's the one who's going to be there every single day talking to us. That's a lot to ask of somebody. Yeah. Um, and Elias Patterson, I think, is has taken... I, I think he's taken media very serious ever since Bohorat was traded as well. I really think he's making a solid commitment to do media and do it well and give us good answers. I've noticed a, a very different type of vibe from him ever since Horvat left because Horvat was our guy, right? Every yeah. practice, post game, no matter what it was, a two nothing loss or a five four win. Like it was Horvat every single time. So I think Pedersen's kind of seen that and stepped up a little bit into that role, which has been great to see. So uh that's good stuff there. I haven't mentioned it off the top here. And you haven't opened that pack yet. I didn't get to that, did I? No, you didn't ask okay. me. Okay. <laughs> so you're brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic, uh filling in the co host chair. Harm never gets to do this. So oh. you're you're lucky. You get the metal card. Let's rip this thing open. The great folks there at Zephyr Epic, uh, you guys can pick up some metal cards of your own here. These are my. This is one of my favorite set because there's this card that always comes in these packs called the Big Cheese, and uh, it is a hilarious looking card. But we'll see what you get because there's some weird ones in there, uh, and we haven't had a Canuck card come out of these in a long time. So let's see if we can get one here. Okay, so first up we got Josh Bailey who. Uh was the Canucks were very thankful when the Islanders took Josh Bailey. Yep, this they were. <laughs> uh, but not a Canuck. Uh, next up, we've got Andre Vasilevsky. Ooh. See the card? They, they, these are gorgeous cards. Are very, That's the thing I like about it. It reminds me of like the Pokemon cards back in the day, how happy you were for a shiny. Every single one of these is a shiny. <laughs> it's great. You've got Mason McTavish in this. In there we the, go. A exploding star. That might be a rookie because that's from last year as well. So that's a nice oh. little kind of there. Uh, we've got Cole Beautiful. Lovely, lovely. Beautiful Cole Caulfield card. Nico Heeshier. Wearing the jersey jersey. Oh, that's a nice <laughs> one. Uh, Mark Stone. 
the captain of the team that is uh, facing the Canucks tonight. Yeah, I got Brian Choi coming in here. It's the Cheddar, not Big Cheese. That's the name oh, of the card there. So cheddar. that's my bad on that one. And William Carlson. So we got a couple of Golden Knights in here. Okay. Uh, not Golden Cards, sadly. And so Dang. that's no, no Canucks. Damn, no you know, yeah, I got to check the, the list here for the Skybox cards, see if there is any damn Canucks in here. Because I, I tell you what, I haven't seen it. Um, all right. Uh, I, I was going to try, like, I was thinking sometimes uh, on shows, they, they, like, sneak in a pre-recorded interview, and it's, like, pretty seamless to make the connection. I don't think that's the, how this is going to go, because you aren't going to be on this interview. <laughs> so, Speaking I, of hockey cards. Yeah, I will let people know <laughs> that this was uh, pre-recorded this morning with Arshdeep Baines, uh, forward, rookie forward out there with the Abbotsford Canucks. We'll talk about Baines maybe a little bit after the interview. But uh, let's run this now. I hope, uh, I hope Alex got this all figured out. Alex is running around. He's doing 15 shows today. Uh, poor guy, he's been running up and down a wall here, but I think we got the interview all set up, so let's run this now. Uh, my conversation this morning with Arshdeep Baines, rookie forward of the Abbotsford Canucks. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, guys, joining us now from the Abbotsford Canucks. He's in his rookie season, and he's been ripping it up of late. Arsh Deep Baines joining us here on the Canucks Conversation. Arsh, down in Bakersfield. How you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been a treat. Absolutely, man. And uh, you guys are on a little bit of a road trip now. Ten games left in the season. How wild is it to hear that number, that uh, that's just the amount of games remaining this year for you? Yeah, no kidding. I think when you when you start the year, you seems like there's there's so many games six what is it 72 and when it comes down to 10 left it kind of seems like the the midst in the middle of it it kind of just flew by so now we're 10 games left and uh there's just some really important hockey games left absolutely and your game has been good you've been playing like you you know these are important games eight points over your last eight games uh what's been clicking for you offensively we've seen a little bit of line juggling i think over the last month or so with you you've kind of been fitting into a different role than you were earlier in the season uh what's working for you over these last eight games i think just really kind of finding my game knowing that uh i can be a good player and playing the right way i think jeremy's done a good job and all the all the coaches really helped me throughout the year and I think uh, it really helped me take a couple couple of big steps throughout the season, which is kind of hard to do. That's stuff you kind of do in the off season, which I'm also looking forward to. But 
I think everyone's kind of really, really been pushing me and helping me. And I think uh, that's kind of why I've kind of seen a little bit of a jump in my game. Absolutely. I think what a lot of people have seen, and we've I've been tweeting out a lot of the highlights, uh, a lot of the assists you've been uh, putting up lately, some very pretty ones. How nice is it uh, for you to know that on the back end of those assists, it's a guy like Linus Carlson or Danilo Klinovich all season long. Uh, you've been setting these guys up and making it pretty easy for them. But how nice is it to know that there's some finishers on your lines uh, pretty much throughout the season? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good players on our team. So I think when uh, you get the chance to build chemistry, like you said, with a couple of those guys, that you get to learn how they play and play off of each other. And I think we've done a lot of good things working with each other. And uh, those guys have helped me lots. And all my line mates, they, they make it easy for me. So it's it's really nice having that all set up. It's awesome, man. When I talked to uh, Ryan Johnson earlier in the month, uh, something he brought something up about you that they didn't want to completely rebuild your game because they liked a lot of what you did in the WHL. But he really talked about not necessarily, like I said, rebuilding, but kind of just changing the way that you've played. What has that process been like? Like jumping in from the WHL, being the leading scorer, you know, putting up a ridiculous amount of points there. So now you're penalty killing, you're playing on the power play, doing a lot of things at the AHL level. What what was that rebuild in your game? Like, what did you have to change to have success here in the AHL? Yeah, I think the WHL it's not a not easy league as well, but you got to learn things to do there. And coming from the the CHL to the AHL, it's a pretty big jump. So I think they wanted to make sure that I'm playing with the right details and making sure that I'm playing the full 200 foot game and playing like starting from the D zone. So they helped me lots there. I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned this year is that it. You have to start in the D zone. Everything, every everybody's good in the D zone. That's how you kind of. That's how that, that's the only thing that really matters is that you can play defensively and then offensively it carries over. And I think um, Ryan and all the staff have really helped me. So grateful for that. It's it's a difficult jump. I talk about it all the time. I even say like the guys from the NCAA, NCAA coming into the AHL, the NHL, like it's a big jump in its own right. But like you guys are, you know, U twenty players jumping from that league into a pro league where players have been around here for years and understand how this game at the HL level is played. What was the most difficult thing? Cause I'm sure there were some things that came to you pretty easy, but I'm sure there are some things that were hard as well. What was one of the harder parts of adjusting to this league? Yeah, I'd say, uh, there's, there's a couple of things for sure. I think when you're, when you're, uh, when you're having to play at the speed that these guys play at, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty competitive. And these guys, it's like if you're taking a job from somebody else, right? You're you're trying to fight for somebody else's job and everybody wants to become better and everyone's pushing each other. So it's kind of a good environment, but I think the speed and the kind of just the environment, it's a, it's a hard environment to be in that you want to kind of be the best you can be and help everybody else in your team, but also push each other. So there's a lot of things that uh, I'm hopefully I'm answering your question, right? But there's, there's a lot of different things that uh, make this league a hard league for sure. I got to ask because you're a Canucks fan growing up. You're in the Canucks organization. Uh, from what I've seen out there anyways, the Sedins are pretty active out in Abbotsford. How how cool is it? Just, I don't know. Like, how cool is it to work with the Sedins as someone growing up? Yeah, 100%. I, I never imagined in my life that I'd be, they'd be kind of helping me out and wanting me to be in the NHL. So I think before I even signed up the Canucks, I had Sedins, you know, bottles and pictures in my in my house. So now that, now that I'm actually with them all the time and they're helping me, it's almost taking it for granted, seeing them all the time and talking to them. So it's really special. I'm grateful that they're there for us. So a lot of us hear that the Sedins are working with you guys a lot. I see them out in Abbotsford at some games here and there, but it's a lot of practices. Is it, do I have that right with you guys? Like that's where you see the bulk of the Sedins, I guess. Yeah, 100%. They're, they're out on the ice 
early before practice starts to stay there after practice is done and they're doing video and so they're working just as hard or even harder than us so they're they're always there and they're they're, they're everything that uh that the people say they're that's awesome man i think a lot of us like you know people who just watch the game or cover the game here we talk about development and these are what these guys are doing they're helping you guys develop like what are the things like you mentioned video there but what are you guys doing on the ice like what are what are you learning from daniel and henrik Sedin from a practice like i think a lot of people are curious about that yeah i think they they kind of cater to the player that they're trying to improve so i know we're all about different things that we need to work on and they kind of uh kind of do the research watch our video watch our games and come up to us individually and tell us things that they want us to work on so if somebody's work on their shot or somebody's work on you know positioning or something like that they'll they'll come out of their way and they'll help you and it's really nice to see because then you'll see them around the rink during game time and kind of get that uh reminder that those things that you worked on those that they want to see you improve on it so it's kind of a, it's a really nice system that they have going on and, and it's helped a lot of our players on our team so you've seen them obviously a lot on the ice. Where would they slot into the AHL lineup right now? First line, fourth line. What do you think? They still got it. Yeah, I think on the power play, those they could still they could still run a good power play, and I'm sure they'd be dominant in, in our league still. Wanted to ask about the goaltending a little bit as well. Over the last five games, you guys have not allowed more than two goals in each of those five games. We have a shutout mixed in there as well. How nice is it for a forward to know that you guys are getting the type of goaltending that you're getting from Spencer and Artie right now? Yeah, it's unreal. I think that's that's something the championship team needs for sure is two goalies that can that can keep keep you in games that you shouldn't be winning. Like last game, I think we were getting outshot pretty bad, and it seemed like we weren't even entering their zone. But already already kept us, or already and Marty, both of them, uh, they both help us out all the time. But last game, they kept us in that. We were able to win the game. So I know that uh, we don't make it easy on them all the time. So. When we got when we got them back stopping us like that, it's uh, special. Artie and Marty sounds like if you guys had to have like a, a sitcom or something from the Abbotsford Canucks, that's a uh, that's a nice little combo there. Uh, uh, I, I want to ask about uh, Danila Klimovich. We mentioned him earlier. You played a ton with him throughout the season. Uh, he was a guy who was on your wing for a good part of the year. We I think we even saw that back at uh, in Penticton to start things off. I'm curious. You're a guy who gets to see it on the ice. How good is his shot really when he gets a clean one off? Like how, what level? of shot is that is it something that you haven't seen before i know you've played junior with some really good players uh you've seen a lot of guys in the hl but how good is that daniela klimovich shot when he gets a good one off yeah absolutely it's probably one of the hardest shots i've ever seen and that is as young of an age i can't even imagine if he keeps getting going better so he's got obviously an unreal shot and the way he finds a way to get that power is i don't even know how he does it so and he's always working on it, so it's I can just keep I can't even imagine how much better it can get. Yeah, we see him out there in the pregames. It's someone has to pull him off the ice, it feels like uh half the time. Uh one of the things you're getting to do lately, we touched on it a little bit, but you've uh you've been penalty killing quite a bit uh, over the last little bit. You scored a nice shorthanded goal just the other day as well. Um what's that been like? Like what's it been like killing penalties at the AHL and kind of adjusting now and, and really getting more minutes as the season goes on, it feels like. Yeah, I, honestly I I love penalty killing. That's I feel like that's kind of like uh, my type of game within a game. I like to play with my stick, get in lanes, kind of out over, like outthink the opponent. I like to kind of be creative while I'm checking. So I really like penalty kill, and I used to do that in junior, and I really liked it. So coming here, I kind of had a little bit of a idea how to do it. Obviously, I didn't start on the penalty kill, but uh, the staff again kind of gave me the opportunity, and I guess they like what they've seen and 
I love I love Connie Con, so it's a it's nice that I get to do that. And you've got power play time throughout your career, tons of junior, obviously. Uh, but does that help you on the penalty kill? You kind of mentioned it there, like it's a, a game within the game that you're kind of thinking it. Uh, we've heard Elias Patterson talk about this at the NHL level as well, about you know just thinking the game a little bit maybe as a power play guy while you're penalty killing and how that, how that can help. Is that something that you kind of lean on with your penalty killing, just kind of reading the play, I guess? Yeah, I get it. Well, yeah, for sure. I think when you're trying to check the power, the power play, you're, you're thinking what – does the power play want to do you know you get when you're on the power play you kind of get frustrated trying to see what's open so as a killer you can kind of see through their perspective what uh what might be the best option so you're kind of taking away lanes and uh kind of jumping on plays that you think they'll make with this group you guys have so many young players like how much how much fun are you guys having just being like a group of young guys on a team together here that you know looks like they're destined for the playoffs and hopefully a long playoff run like you know, there's so many guys in their young 20s here, rookies like yourself and and guys that are even second year guys. Like, it's it's so young out there. Like, it must be a lot of fun with this group, I'm assuming. Yeah, 100%. I think we're all we're all we're all super tight. I know there's a couple other guys that kind of keep the team uh, down and responsible. And we need that leadership. So but we do have a good we do have a good uh, good amount of uh, young guys. So. I think that's pretty cool that we have that uh, connection with all. We all push each other, all trying to improve, and then uh, we also kind of got a good, uh, good thing going with our team within the, the record books, and we have a serious chance of making a good run at this playoff. So it's a pretty exciting time for our group. I'm sure there's, like you said, uh, it's very exciting with all the playoffs just around the corner. Last year was a difficult one for the Abbotsford Canucks. They end up getting swept and not getting a home playoff game. How much is that a goal of this group? I know you weren't here last year for it, but a lot of guys were. How much is it just not not necessarily just getting a home playoff game for Abbotsford, but doing more in this playoff run here coming up? Yeah, I think exactly how you said it kind of starts with getting that home ice advantage. I think it feels like when we're at home, we have one of the best uh, home atmospheres there is. So I think that's that's something we really, really want to focus on in these last uh, 10 games is getting that home ice and making sure we finish as high as we can. And and after that, we, we, we feel like we can make a serious run and do something. So I think... Uh, we take these 10 games super seriously. We get what we can out of it. And then when it comes to playoffs, we just, you have to give it our all and go as deep as we can. Absolutely. How many family members are you expecting for the first playoff game now? It's for, I'm not sure. Honestly, it's been, I probably, I bet on my parents for sure being there. I'm, hopefully my, my brothers can, my brothers and sisters can come out. Awesome, man. Good to hear. And uh, I guess final, just final, final question here uh, with the off season. I know that now you get a chance to, kind of understand what you get with pro hockey, right? You're going to have a season under your belt. How excited are you to kind of have an off season with pro experience now? I'm sure that's a very different thing. Once you've seen how, you know, a 72 game season goes, how a playoff run goes, like you've obviously played hockey and been in seasons with WHL, but as a pro, like how excited are you for even just the off season and getting a chance to just improve on the things, you know, that you need to work on now that you've seen a year of pro. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, Getting that first year under my belt is going to be good going into the offseason. I think there's a lot of things I've learned, and all the staff know kind of what I've been through the, throughout this year and what I need to work on and what I need to improve on. So I think it should be you know, a perfect recipe to have a good offseason and get ready for next season and kind of just give it my all this offseason. And I'm super excited. Arsh, appreciate your time as always. Uh, I know that uh, Canucks fans and listeners of our show are very excited to get you on here uh, and hear from you. So Good luck on the road trip here, and uh, we're very excited for playoff hockey out in Abbotsford, man. Best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
There it is. Our Steve Baines joining us here on the Canucks Conversation. Uh, good stuff there. Good chat with him. I, I've really just been damn impressed with Baines throughout the season. I I saw him in Penticton, and I was like, okay, pretty good. Skated well. Looked fine on a, on a line kind of in that Young Stars environment. And then start of the season, I said, okay, fourth-line guy. Looks okay. Then he starts setting up Klimovich for all these goals. And he starts killing penalties. And he starts moving up the lineup, playing in the top six, getting some power play time. He's he's a perfect example to me of somebody who like is really kind of breaking the mold of of coming into the AHL after graduating from the CHL and not not having trouble with it. Like he's really figuring a lot of things out, thinks the game extremely well, probably not fast enough to really think that he is a, a full-time NHLer like with a bullet absolutely, but I think there's there's something there about players who think the game so well that they can make up for their foot speed a little bit. And it's not like he's slow, but it's not like he he pops. Like, I, I mentioned this on yesterday's show. There's certain players when you're watching HL hockey, you're like, he's not an HLer. He shouldn't, like, <laughs> I watch Niels Hugliner, I'm like, hey, he shouldn't be able to go around defensemen that easy. Like, he is an NHLer. You don't necessarily see that with Baines, but I've been damn impressed because that's a very tough jump. I've talked with Cole Lynn and Jonah Gadjevich a lot in the past about this when they were jumping in with Utica. It's a hard jump to go from playing junior hockey u20 players to playing men uh in the ahl so it's been difficult any any thoughts about Baines so far this season well the number one thing i saw from him in uh in prospect camp and, and even like before that in development camp like he the number one thing i saw from him is that he paid so close attention to the coaches he was mm. diligent in every single drill like he was the best player in every drill because yeah. he paid attention he he had the details right like he's a he's a guy who you can tell he's going to put in the work. Yeah. And he's put in the work in Abbotsford. Like he, like you say, he's grown right from the start of the season taking on more responsibility, getting put in more situations where he can develop all the parts of his game. Like the number one thing with him is that he is one of the most coachable kids that you'll ever see. Yeah. That's like, why Brent Sutter absolutely loved him. Like <laughs> uh, the conversation I had with with him uh, when the Canucks did sign Archie Baines, I guess, last year, like, yeah, Sutter was going on. And that's a guy who, who probably likes guys who like to listen to coaching. So yes. uh, that's been impressive. Uh, the thing that I immediately saw at development camp with Baines was such a good base level of everything. Yes. Like, I think the thing that you see a lot at these prospect camps is, like, Danilo Klimovich, let's take him for example. Yes, he has an incredible shot when he gets 100% of it. But when you're watching a development camp, it's, you know, Okay, he gets ninety percent of it there. Oh, thirty percent he flubs one here. You just you didn't see any flubs from uh, from Baines. Very consistent, very consistent yeah. throughout, and just a strong base layer of everything in hockey. Like now he's playing physical. I don't know. I, I think he's, I screamed about it yesterday on the show. I'm not whispering <laughs> anymore. He's a, he's going to play in the NHL. He's going to get a run in the NHL. Not just a game here and there. He's the type of player who you give an opportunity in a fourth line. You don't just let him rot as a top six player in the HL. You give him a go as a fourth liner because he understands it. Like, he gets it, and he's a local kid. I, I th- he's going to run through a wall once you get that Vancouver jersey <laughs> on him. Like, he already does it for Abbotsford. Um, another thing we wanted to bring up, uh, let, uh, the chat was going off here, and we were you, you were even jumping in there, Wags. I think <laughs> at some point I saw you. Uh, Aiden McDonough, he practiced today. When's this dude going to get into the lineup? <laughs> because uh, Talkit kind of said, like, you got to fly in his parents, couple-day warning. He, Rick Rick Toggett also mentioned that it's going to take like a actual full practice, right? This yes. is this is a, a difficult thing. It feels like the way this team, I don't know. It's funny because we've heard 
we've heard the general manager, we've heard the coach. This is often talked about even some of the players. This is an extended training camp. Sure. Training camp in my eyes is an option to try a lot of different things. Though right now it feels like they are doing it a little different of like, you have to play in the structure to be able to stick around and play every night in the lineup. That's a difficult thing for McDonough to hop into the lineup now because he hasn't had a practice. When do you think we're going to see this guy in the NHL? I, I think it might not be until next week. I, mm. I think they do want to get him some real practice time, get him used to the system, get him used to the speed. That's the number one thing. When we talked to McDonough today, he was talking about how even just these game day skates are faster than college hockey. And so that speed is something he's going to have to get used to. I, I found it really fascinating how he was getting this one-on-one work, or rather two-on-one, with uh, Daniel Sedin and Yogi, their, their skills uh, coach. He, he was working with them on very specific things along the boards, uh, working to protect the puck and to create space coming off the boards, little cutbacks. And he talked about how the Sedins had been working with him all year long. Yeah. Like sending him video, uh, watching his games and sending him clips of his own, uh, of his own games and, and just going over different things. He talked about how uh, at one point he said that uh, he had a terrible game. Like he was just so like upset and... With, with how he had played, and he got a, a, an email or text, whatever it was, from one of the Sedins saying, here's a thing we really liked about that game. Hmm. And it just immediately lifted him up. Like, he's like, oh. Like, even in this game where he felt like he had had a horrible game, they pointed out, here are the things you did well. And it just completely changed his perspective. He's like, okay, I can work on those things, and I can keep doing those game after game, and when I have a good game and I'm getting those details right, that good game is going to become a great game. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think it's really fascinating to see how they're working with him and developing him. And I'm really excited to see when he gets in the lineup. The speed is going to be another step up when he goes to a full practice from a game day skate. And then even more when he gets into a game. And so that's going to be the real challenge for him is handling NHL game speed because he isn't the fastest skater. But you could see what they were working on him with was that protecting the puck down low along the boards. That's where he can use his strength. He doesn't have to be the fastest, most explosive skater in those situations. If he can build off of that. And he talked about how it's all technique. It's all technique and how you're angling your skates, how you're protecting the puck, how you're moving with your check. And if he can do that and do the kind of things that the Sedins are working on him with, he can create space to use his shot. Yeah. Even without having that uh, game-breaking speed or even above-average NHL speed. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny because I remember talking to Ati Ratu when he first got to Abbotsford, and he was like, listen, like the Sedins weren't the fastest guys ever, but like you can learn a lot from them. I'm, I'm curious if, if McDonough's in that same kind of boat of like, hey, these guys, I know it was a different time, and the NHL's definitely gotten a lot faster since the Sedins were playing, but there are certain things that the Sedins can absolutely give you for tips to, to help if you aren't the quickest and the fleetest of foot. I, I also... Like, there's been a lot made of the Patrick Alvin visit right after the World Juniors. It's a, it's a monumental time uh, that people have talked about over the last little bit here with McDonough being visited by Patrick Alvin. I, I really think hearing that, um, hearing him talk about, hearing McDonough, that is, talk about, you know, being able to deal with the Sedins for development, that that's huge. I really think that adding the Sedins has been, like, it's really been massive for these players, whether it just be like morale or actually just like developing and, and keying in on just like developing your game, like whatever it is. I just think the all around thing that they're bringing to this team is massive. And with the McDonough situation, you have to give 
I think the most props out of this organization for getting him signed, making him feel comfortable with the Vancouver Canucks, it's Ryan Johnson. It's it's one hundred percent Ryan Johnson in my eyes, who has been the the steady guy in this organization throughout McDonough's time since being drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. He's always been a consistent voice over the four years that he had at Northeastern. As much as you want to make about this big Alvin, well, I'm sure it made a difference. I'm sure the visit made a difference. But to me, it's it's Ryan Johnson. This is a, a good job. Uh, from Ryan Johnson through and through to get For this sure. job done. Uh, and when you hear, but even just when you hear it, like the Sedines have been constantly working with me mm-hmm. over the past year, sending me video and stuff. Of course he wants to come to the Vancouver oh, yeah. Canucks. You have two Hall of Famers working with you on like the details of your game. Like that's a way to build loyalty. Yeah. You know, you're, you're talking about a player who could have gone into the summer, become a free agent and signed with any team. But instead he went, you know, these people, this team, Ryan Johnson heading it up, have worked with me day by day and helped me improve my game. I owe it to them. You know, like that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I, I love that for the Abbotsford guys too, but then we could do another 20 minutes on that. <laughs> I, I did want to bring, well, now that we had you on, I asked you, is there something we want to really dive into? And the James Reimer situation, the whole deal with pride jerseys over the past month has been something that we don't typically talk about these type of things around the hockey world on the show, but I know that you're somebody who's passionate about this and I think knows a lot more than I about <laughs> this as well. So I think a lot of people know the situation. There's been multiple players throughout the season, Provorov, uh, Reimer, that have denied or rejected to wear these pride jerseys, these jerseys that I think are all about inclusion, which... Listen, I'm I'm not an expert on the LGBTQIA+. I think I nailed that. I nice. uh, didn't even read that. But I'm not an expert on the, the topic. But I, I think I'm in the, the camp of I just, I really do think everybody should be able to be the person that they are and be able to express themselves as, as they would like that makes them happy. As long as they're happy, then that's the way that I look at it. And I just think it's it's kind of sad that players don't want to back inclusion that's the way i look at it with this situation um i I look at this as inclusion i don't look at this as putting on a rainbow flag is against somebody's morals or or their thoughts on whatever it may be i i I think it's it's a really bad look for the sport to not be in the camp of inclusion being something that should be acceptable and should be a daily thing that's promoted by this league and that's my feeling on the situation. I don't know where you want to go with this. I do have a couple of graphics <laughs> that we can get to. First, I'd love to show the Sharks jersey was gorgeous. I, I love this thing. I, I love, you know, seeing some of the jerseys that come up. What a beautiful looking logo. I mean, and awesome. Just incredibly well done here from the Sharks. Uh, not sure where you want to start with this. I got my piece out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Um, you just throw two S in front of all those letters and you're golden. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... It's a complicated subject in in some ways because like there there are a lot of people who who struggle with uh, with including everyone. Sure, um, there's a lot of different belief systems out there in the world that reject certain people because of who they are and who they love, and and it's it's difficult. And, and the reason why I want to talk about this is because I've been there, mm. uh, like James Reimer. I grew up in the Mennonite church, uh, maybe a slightly larger community in, in Chilliwack rather than uh, on the prairies. But, but like James Reimer, I, I grew up believing uh, a lot of 
pretty hateful things. I, I'm now I'm making assumptions about James Reimer here. I have to say that outright. I'm I'm assuming certain things when he says that you know like I. I believe in Jesus Christ and this is what my belief system is and this is why I'm not wearing the jersey you know he likely believes that being gay is a sin mm. he likely believes that trans people are are just mentally ill or confused and, and and these are very hurtful beliefs but they're probably ones that he's heard right from a very young age because I heard them right from a very young age yeah I grew up in the church hearing about the gay agenda. Mm. You know, I grew up hearing about all these different things being sinful and not just sinful, but destroying society. You know, like that these were going to damage not just the people who, you know, are this way, but that it would destroy the larger society. These were actually things I heard in church. Like these, so I, I have to assume that that's the reason why this is happening. The reason why he didn't want to wear the jersey because he feels like he would be supporting something evil. Hmm. Now, when he says that, like, I love everyone, you know, that's what I believe too. Right. You know, when I was in this in, in the church growing up, I, I believed that I loved everyone. And we, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, you'll hate the sin, but love the sinner. But that doesn't work. <laughs> you can't hate the sin and love the sinner when when what you're hating is a fundamental part of who a person is. Right. And it took a long time for me to grow out of those beliefs because it was just everywhere. It was just expected. It was it was this bubble that I lived in. And it took me a long time to realize that those beliefs were very hurtful. I had a, a couple of friends who were very dear friends of mine from the past who I found out later came out and they didn't want to tell me because they thought I would hate them. Hmm. And like, that's heartbreaking because like, like my beliefs have changed drastically over the years. And I now have uh, trans and, and queer people in my family. I have trans friends and the idea that someone wouldn't be willing to be their true authentic self with me, like that's heartbreaking. And that tells me like, Oh my goodness, what I believed and what did I say something that made them think that I would hate them? Like it was just this, this eye opening experience of like, Oh my goodness, I am not as loving and kind as I thought I was. And like that, that, that hurts. And yeah. I know that I, I have hurt people in the past and it's not like I was like vocally, anti-LGBTQ. No, but I think what you mentioned no. there was like people were scared to tell you that, right? Like that's that's difficult enough in its own right. And I think that's why these nights are important because it's promoting, it's not, it's not promote, it's promoting inclusion. Like that yes. is what the goal is. Can we get the quote from Brian Burke up here? I thought this was a great who, like props to Brian Burke. Listen, old hockey guy, very supportive of inclusion. Uh, I'm just going to read the quote here for the people on, on the podcast listening. This is from Brian Burke uh, talking about the Sharks Pride Night. He said, I repeat that I am extremely disappointed. I wish players would understand that the Pride sweaters are about inclusion and welcoming everybody. A player wearing Pride colors or tape isn't endorsing a set of values or enlisting in cause. He is saying you are welcome here and you are in every single NHL building. That's that's the way I look at this. Like I maybe I'm 
maybe players are seeing it a different way, but I think a, a vast, vast majority of folks are seeing this as inclusion and just making it, making that what it should be about. Yeah. And the problem is that there is a, a whole um, system right now, especially in the U S but not just in the U S that is really pushing this idea that especially trans people is who they're targeting first, Mm -hmm. that trans people are um, grooming kids, you know, like that they, they are attacking kids that they're, they're hurting kids. You know, that's the number one thing they keep bringing up. It's all about the kids. It's all about the children, but it's not because you've seen there's laws that are now targeting trans people in the U S and in various States. And there's this propaganda machine that is going out that is saying these people who are just living their lives are actually trying to do something terrible. They're trying to hurt women. They're trying to, and it's none of it is true. Like, like I said, I have trans people in my family. I, and some of them knew from a very young age, that's who they were. And they, they knew right away. (laughs) And it maybe took them some time to really grap grapple with all of the various aspects of that, but that's just who they are. Mm. And, and I think that most likely what happened, and I'm, I'm speculating here with the James Reimer situation, when you posted that picture of the San Jose Sharks logo, that shark is in the colors of the trans flag. And I, my suspicion is that Reimer, like a lot of people in the U S have, has heard this anti-trans propaganda and goes, well, I can't support that. Yeah. And I, I can't. It all ties together in some I, people's I, I, eyes. I think that's a big part of it. And and it's not stopping with trans people in the U.S. and in a lot of these states. Florida is especially bad right now. There have been bills that have been targeting gay marriage. There have been bills that are targeting a lot of different people. Uh, uh, drag uh, drag queens are getting targeted in a lot of areas. And, and this is a... a complicated subject in some ways but in other ways it's not complicated at all just accept people love them (laughs) like you you don't have to understand every aspect of who they are to welcome them and especially when we're talking about hockey when we're talking about nhl buildings and nhl teams going look you're welcome here you are you can be part of the hockey community that's all that pride nights are supposed to be because hockey has been an area that has not been very accepting towards LGBTQ people. And uh, I think it was, um, who's the, Luke Prokop, is that? Yeah, we do have the, I have a part of uh, his his statement here as well. I did want to read this, but to your your point there, um, good comment from Dave here, you can disagree with someone and still include them. I mean, that's that's a lot of things in life to my eyes. And it's it's like, you had a good thing that you said there, you're like, it's complicated, but it's not. To like, just be able to include people, that's how I felt, like the, just adjusting in life in 2023, there's a lot of things that I've had to change in my, I grew up in a small town in Nanaimo that was ma- mainly farm folk. And, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the most uh, inclusive time maybe in the, in the nineties when I was growing up or to that point, I'm very happy that the world's changed and I'm happy that it's gotten better in my eyes, at least in this year. So um, continually trying to learn and work on things, but you're right. It's complicated, but it's not. I think yeah. it to that point. Uh, let's get the, the Luke Prokop uh, statement up here. I didn't get the uh, full statement. There was just one part that I did want to read. 
Um, and you can find this full thing on Twitter. This is from Luke Prokop. He said, everyone is entitled to their own set of beliefs, but I think it's important to recognize the difference between endorsing a community and respecting individuals within it. Pride nights are essential step towards fostering great acceptance and understanding in hockey. And I strongly believe that by prioritizing diversity and inclusion, we can create an environment where every player feels comfortable bringing their authentic selves to the game. As someone who aspires to play, on an NHL team one day, I would want to enter the locker room knowing I can share parts of my identity with my teammates. Yeah, and and I think with with the James Reimer situation specifically, what he has said by not wearing a Pride Night jersey is that he is not going to accept that part of someone's identity. He may have a closeted like former teammates or current teammates who are closeted, who are afraid to share with him because of something like this. Mm. And, and I will say this, like, like I said in the past, I wasn't vocally anti LGBTQ. I wasn't spewing hate towards people, but like there can be subtler forms of homophobia and transphobia. And, and a lot of it can come out as like, as pity almost like mm. I remember my mom, like I love her and she's changed her views over, over time as well. But when Ellen DeGeneres came out as a lesbian, my mom's re- reaction was, Oh, that's too bad. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and that is homophobia right. and it, it's subtle. And it's like, you, you can pretend that you're a good person still while going like, well, I just feel bad for them. Like, no, that's terrible. You think they're going to hell. <laughs> that is still homophobia. That's still hate just disguised as pity. You know, and I think we see that in Reimer's statement where he says that he, you know, loves everyone and, but you're not actually showing that love. Yeah. You know, if you're not willing to wear a jersey saying you're welcome in hockey for 20 minutes, you know, that's not love. That's not kindness. No, and Karan asks, who is Luke Prokop? Um, I I believe the first openly gay, still not in the NHL, a prospect, highly drafted prospect, um, but he sh- hopefully will be in the NHL one day here soon. I'll tell you what, the Canucks could use a big right uh, shot defenseman. Actually, <laughs> there we anyway. go. <laughs> but uh, that's that's the point. I think that from his quote that I wanted to bring up was like, how difficult is it for him now to walk into a room if he's playing on James Reimer's team? Yeah, and and I like, think man. the way this ties back to the Canucks as well is they have a Pride Night coming up. Yeah, and they have so, like I don't want to single them out, but they have Russian players on the team, and we've heard that that's one of the sticking points for some teams is that they have Russian players that are worried about this because of the environment back home Mm -hmm. in Russia, which is virulently homophobic. Yeah. So there are some concerns because there's, you know, and it's not just teammates of someone like James Reimer. If someone was a fan of James Reimer and they are trans or queer or gay, lesbian, bisexual, whatever it is, and they suddenly feel like, oh, this player that I loved isn't safe anymore. And I, you know, he can't be my favorite player anymore. Hmm. You know, and, and then they start to question, well, can I have a favorite player? Yeah. Because who knows? Maybe that favorite player turns out, well, oh, no, he's he hates a, a part of who I am and wouldn't welcome it and support it. You know, and for Canucks fans out there who are part of the LGBTQ community, you know, this pride night that's coming up might actually be a major source of stress because they're looking at this going, is my favorite player going to refuse to wear a Jersey that welcomes me into hockey? Like that has to be a concern for a lot of people out there. Absolutely. I think 
it's definitely something that we'll continue to have the conversation on. It's uh, it's a big topic. I appreciate you spending a lot of time touching on it here. I've been, really enjoyed um, almost everybody in the chat uh, chatting about this and joining in on the conversation. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I'm glad we spent some extra time on the show doing this, and I'm glad you were able to bring some insight here and help uh, help chat about it with me. Because like I said, otherwise I would have just came out here and told you that I'm from a small town and it's <laughs> weird there. So I appreciate the help. Uh, Wags, we do have to we do have to wrap up here with our Betway wrap up. Let's get that up here, um, the old Pride Night to Betway transition that we're all used to here. Let's uh, let's dive into it. Uh, what do we got here today? We got the Canucks. We got the Vegas Golden Knights. They're in town tonight. I'm rocking with my either ors, Wags. I love my either ors. You get either player to score in this game minus one sixty seven. Uh, a ten dollar bet's going to return you sixteen on this one. It's Jack Eichel or Anthony Bavillier to score a goal in tonight's game. Either or in this one, uh, I think Bavillier has been excellent lately at uh, creating scoring chances. He's got to get a bounce here pretty damn soon. And then the big one, here it is. Actually, you got to hit the arty party music here. I forgot to... There we go. Okay, easy there. I'd say this thing comes with a lot of power over there, Wags. Uh, all right. Uh, then the big one. Vancouver Canucks to win over 6.5 total goals. Jack Eichel and Elias Pettersson, too. Both score a goal tonight. You're getting that at plus fifteen hundred. Ten dollar bet's going to return you. I like that. One hundred and sixty dollars on your bet today. That is what you can do. Betway, Betway, Betway. Please bet the responsible way. Uh, it must be nineteen plus to play. That wraps it up for our Betway bets of the day. There you go. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, fade it out. You know what you're doing <laughs> with that thing. Uh, Wags, really appreciate you jumping uh, on the show today, filling in for Quads. Uh, he's on Paw Patrol. He'll be back tomorrow. Um, anything else you wanted to wrap up, maybe let the people know where they can find your content. And, uh, I don't know if you want to say the book, like, do you guys have a date yet? Uh, date isn't quite settled yet. I'm ish. I believe it'll be around November. Okay. So early, so, early next season before the Christmas shopping season, you know, or right if, around that time for, for people that missed it off the top, just give me like 20 seconds on what this book is and why it's going to be fun. <laughs> 20 seconds. Uh, the book is On the Clock, the Canucks history at the NHL draft or behind the scenes with the Canucks at the NHL draft. And Still it's, working on the title. It, well, <laughs> it's just I always forget it because there's a lot of words. Um, it's a whole history of the Canucks at the draft right from their very first draft in 1970 mm. all the way through to uh, as, as far into the current day as we can get. Really kind of culminating with like Pedersen and Hughes. So here's then, a question yeah. there. What do you do if this draft is just like the most, they move up, they move down, they end up getting Connor Bedard. What do you do now? Like, is I know, it, I know. I'm like, my, you're scared or what? Like my deadline for my draft is like before this year's draft. Uh, and so I'm going to talk to them about that and see like the, the lottery, the draft lottery is yeah. before my deadline. Oh, okay. So if the Canucks get the first overall pick, I'm going to be talking to my publisher and trying to go like, hey, look, we need a chapter on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Fair <laughs> enough. And you're writing. Where can we find all that? Uh, you can find me at VancouverIsAwesome.com or just go directly to PassItToBoulis.com. You can find me on Twitter and other social media at PassItToBoulis. Excellent. Let's run it one time on the old tankathon here. Alex, give me my tank music, baby. Let's see what happens here. If you have to rewrite a uh, couple chapters at the end of your book, one sim lottery. Nope. Don't worry about no, it. Canucks are fine. picking eighth. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that wraps it up here for another episode of the Canucks conversation. I appreciate Daniel Wagner coming in, stepping in on the show today. Appreciate it. Good time in here getting you on the show for the first time. We'll ride our tank video into the sunset. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Canucks, uh, Vegas Golden Knights and Vancouver Canucks here at Rogers Arena. We'll have some fun with that. 
and I'm going to see how long I can keep talking to make Wags look silly on camera. <laughs> but uh, we'll wrap things up there for my co-host, Daniel Wagner, my producer who I didn't mention, but you all know Alex Allard off the top. Uh, this has been another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 